Jingi walla blagami arako dukum. Jendamani nyali garamanyali nya. Nyali nya nyathan nyathan jen. Garamanyali tugun gunu. Wana jangma malagunu gala tugun. Nyali nya tugun gunu. Bugube blagami. Thank you, Delta K, a Raku Bunjalung woman, for welcoming us to country. Delta is a long-term supporter of Byron Writers Festival. You're listening to Conversations from Byron, a podcast series featuring writers from the 2020 festival lineup. In this session, Ellen Van Nieven talks with Curly Saunders about her collection Kindred, which is available for purchase from the bookroom at Byron.com. Hello, my name is Ellen Van Nieven. I'm a Malanjali person from the Yugumbe language group of Southeast Queensland. It's my pleasure to be in conversation with Curly Saunders today, who is the author of Kindred. Curly Saunders is a proud Gunai woman, an award-winning international writer of poetry, plays and picture books. She is a teacher, cultural consultant and artist. In 2020, Curly was named the New South Wales Aboriginal Woman of the Year. Curly created poetry in first languages developed by Red Room Poetry. Her debut picture book, The Incredible Freedom Machines, was shortlisted for the Prime Minister's Literary Awards and CBC Notables. Her poetry collection, Kindred, was shortlisted for the ABA 2020 Book Awards, and her verse novel, Bindi, was the inaugural winner of the WA Premier's Daisy Utamara Award and will be released in October. Hi, Curly. Hey, sis. How are you going? I'm pretty good, thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm so good. I'm um, down here on Darawal land, so acknowledging uh, Darawal ancestors. It's a pleasure to be cradled here between Bibara, the mountain, and the sea, Garu, um, and to have learnt some of those language words from Aunty Jodie Edwards. Beautiful. Would you mind kicking us off with a little taste of your book, Kindred? It's a book that I just keep returning to. It's one of my favourite poetry books, and I would love to hear you read a little bit from it. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start today with my apologies. So this one is written on Tharawal land and has been informed by the language um, work of and the translations of Ani Jodi Edwards, who we worked with for the Poetry in First Languages project to learn Tharawal language. Um, and, it, you know, it occurred to me around as I move across country and I'm often off country, you know, my family have ties to Gunai land and I was raised on Gunangara camp, country where mum was re- moved to after being removed from her family um, down around Ewan country. So I'm always looking at things and wondering what their true name is. So this is my apologies in response. I scoop you up in my hands and hold you tenderly with tear-stained cheeks as I recite a monologue of apology on behalf of anyone that has ever branded you with a name that isn't yours, that has ever called you earth, sand, sun, sea, salt water, escarpment, fish, moon, bird, tree. Here, you are Nuru, Widjud Widjud, Wurri, Gadu, Palanjang, Merigong, Mara, Jajun, Bujan, Gundu. Beautiful, thank you. 
just want to touch on um, language. You know, you really centered your uh, introduction to this poem, um, talking about language and, and learning language. Can you explain to to us a little bit about why you feel language and po- is so important in poetry and, you know, maybe a little bit about po- the Poetry in First Languages project that you started up? Yeah, so um, Poetry in First Languages was uh, born on the banks of the Shellhaven River. I was a writer in residence with Red Room Poetry who aimed to make poetry a meaningful part of everyday um, everyday life by engaging poets, custodians and elders in the classroom. And um, through the Poetry in First Languages project and, and many other projects beyond, you know, um, to create and publish and perform poetry in unusual ways. And I could hear these ancestors singing and I was absolutely you know, um, gobsmacked. I'd never heard ancestors sing before in language. I had no idea what they were saying. And I called Auntie Trish Levitt, who has um, been pivotal in my language journey alongside Annie Velma Mulcahy, my great aunt, um, and, yeah, Annie Sharon Halls on Gunagara land where I was born. And I, I called Auntie and said, hey, I've, I can hear these these voices and I've got no idea what they're saying. <laughs> and she said, oh, bub, it's it's time for you to go and learn language then, you know. Um and it, it it catapulted my language learning journey. And I remember just feeling so disconnected with not being able to um, speak in languages as, as a young person and feeling like I had cultural knowledge, which was denied to me as a child of um, someone who was, you know, removed from their family um, and deeply affected by a colonization and, you know, these brutal laws and policies that allowed for the continuation of harm within our communities. And so language for me in some ways has been a big sort of reclaim of that cultural capital and that grounding within community. Um, and my language learning journey has been founded in those deep yarns with mob and time spent on country um, and supporting other poets and children and um, writers to be able to to learn language with their elders and custodians. So the Poetry in First Languages project with led delivered by Red Room aimed to celebrate, share and preserve First Nations languages with elders and custodians on country through creative projects um, that created poetry and then had them published in unusual ways. So busbacks, keep cups, fairies, um, yeah, in murals in schools. And uh, it was delivered in, yeah, 12 different languages, 60 workshops across New South Wales, the Northern Territory and ACT. So it's been a big part of my journey as a writer um, in providing opportunities for other mob to be able to create and publish poems and to learn language from their community. And um, it's also been a very steep learning curve culturally in protocol and, um, yeah, how to spend time on country, the importance of, you know, time on country versus, yeah, being in an office. And, yeah, I feel really, really lucky to have been able to to learn language in this way and to be able to interweave it into my writing journey. I think the two of them have been such a big growth space for me in my world. Yeah, gorgeous. Uh, and it, through your use of language, we get to understand more about the country that you that that where you're from and and uh, that's special to you, and also your kin and your relationships. So it's it's just so multifaceted. Like just so it's such a a gift to the the reader and. Um, and, you know, I was going to ask a question, you know, what came first, the the poetry or the language? But it sounds like both of these journeys are, are happening at the, at the same time for you. And, um, you know, I wanted to ask, when did you start writing these poems that make up this collection, Kindred? 
Yeah, so Kindred has been written over six years. Um, and I guess one of the first poems that features in that collection is uh, is Disconnection, which I'll read for you in a little while, and was written in response to that experience of being on the riverbank and hearing ancestors in language. Um, but written over six years, it's a reflection on my connections to community and culture and country um, and the kind of healing of those intergenerational traumas in my family through writing and through responding and reflecting um and it's a it, it's funny looking back on it now you know I think at the time these all of these words felt felt so real and so raw and they still do but in a different way I feel like I've grown and changed through the writing process um and maybe even because of it and um yeah I, I think creating a and you know you'd have that experience too Ellen um creating a, a collection can sometimes allow you to look back at where you were and to see where you are now and um I think every time I've been meeting with elders and custodians they do the same thing hey this is where you come from um hey this is where you're going and um yeah having that kind of cultural grounding through kindred has been a really really important part of my process as a writer but more so of my life beautiful so has you know poetry always been been a part of your life did you like grow up like reading poetry I definitely didn't I was in year 11 when um I had this incredible English teacher Hayley Chisholm if you're listening um thank you for making me a writer I think she saw in me this want to be creative and um provided me the avenue we were studying uh war poetry and also um sort of Australiana so my early poets were yeah Wilfred Owen super brutal wonderful personification (laughs) and um and also yeah Banjo Pat Addison. So, you know, but as a horse rider and as someone who loved the landscape, I felt um, a deep connection to this this portrayal of land um, and also this idea of personification. And I think uh, both of those elements play into my work now. There's there's constantly this idea of, you know, the spirits, their, their roles through land, through Mother Earth or, um, yeah, all of the plants and the animals and, and the people. So, yeah, I um, very much have Haley to thank. And then Red Room Poetry has been such a pivotal part of shaping my journey as a writer, as a poet, because uh, without that very first um, writer's residency down the coast with Bundan on Trust, I might not have sort of started to create this this Poetry in First Languages project and then be able to connect with so many powerful First Nations writers or to be mentored and guided by them or in collaboration with. Um, and it's just kind of catapulted since then. Uh, the Incredible Freedom Machines is very much a, um, a poem, an extended poem, and actually all my picture books are. So, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting... It's an interesting uh, realm, I suppose, poetry to sit in because it weaves into every other aspect of my life. When I can't write poems, I love to paint them or bake them or, you know, move them in my body with yoga or, or play them on my guitar. Um, and, yeah, T- Dr. Tamara Bennett, who who heads up the Red Room Poetry Company, an incredible poetess, says that we should live our poem. And I think that's what poetry has become for me, this this living, breathing thing, not just poems in a book. I love that holistic definition of what a poem is and and so I ask how did you um talk to your you know your family and your kin and and tell them that you were writing poetry like what what was those first discussions like um, I think mum and dad always, so the Incredible Freedom Machines came out before Kindred. So I think they'd already seen sort of one example of a long form poem of mine. Um, and my whole, you know, um, sorry, my rabbit's in the background hopping around and chewing things that he shouldn't be. <laughs> Dustin. 
um, my whole um, my whole childhood has been scattered with these creative kind of outpourings. So I suppose they weren't surprised. Um, but yeah, it's it's my favorite kind of offering to write a poem that responds to an experience that we're that we're having collectively in our family. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and um, you know, there's it seems like you are very passionate about younger readers and younger audiences uh you know what what inspires you to to write for young people across your picture books and your poetry which i i'm assuming you know your poetry is for everyone of all ages but i'm assuming it has a you know a lot of young people are really taking to these beautiful poems and are inspired to write their own poems through reading it so and you know what is what some of the uh interactions that you've had with young people in your work yeah I um so I originally was a teacher um I studied primary ed and um I taught sort of catered to mostly and now I work in early childhood um as a consultant and um have worked in sort of many other writing spaces with with multiple sort of age groups I suppose of children and, and young teens and adults and I guess the earliest interactions that I had around sharing my story, sharing the freedom machines was while I was teaching my, my kindergarten class or my, my year one class. And I would sit down with them and um, read them this book that I'd written um, and show them that if I can be a writer, they can be a writer too. And it was joyful to be able to then go back later and say, Hey, here's that book that I published. Look, it's on the shelf. You can, you can do that. Um, And I think that's, that's really what I want to inspire in our young people. For me, writing came about as this process of self-reflection, healing, journaling almost. And it's very cathartic to be able to write and reflect not only on an independent level, but I think for for the collective, for community, to be able to say, hey, this is where we're, this is where I'm at. Is anybody else feeling it? You know, like almost a shout in the void. Is anybody else there too? Um, and I think we're constantly met with people who say, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I understand you. And uh, especially through this writing. And um, it's my hope that, yeah, that our children get to feel seen and heard and understood by the books that they read, but also that they get to write works that other people are allowed to witness that and that, that enable them to feel those those forms of belonging and connection as well. So very well said, really powerful words and and a vision for our young people. Thank you. Uh, so I, you know, I think you know this, but I love your your book. I love your poems and I just keep returning to them you know it's it's a book that I can forever have on my bedside table and and still be so moved by the work and and your words and I feel like it's a book that um you know it feels like there's a poem in your book for every single occasion you know there's poems about love there's poems about grief there's poems about the ancestors, um, it feels, you know, it feels so um, dynamic and so f- like the, the emotions are really in the centre of this work and are really universal. Uh, I noticed that the, this work is in three parts. Did you want to talk about maybe the, the structure of the book being in these three parts? For sure. Um, but first I want to echo that my bedside reading is throat. So, um, yeah, I think we, our bedsides have a mutual appreciation of each other. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, um, there, there are three sections to this book. Um, and it is intentional. Originally I submitted this book to black and white, um, under the title of mother, 
Earth Child and Lover, which became the three separate sections that formed Kindred. Um, and Mother talks all about our connections with culture. And Earth Child is about our connection with Mother Earth. And then um, Lover, our connection with community. And um, they are, they, 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 I guess they, I hope that they mirror those kinds of multiple moments across our life because they were written from them. Or Lover is, you know, my reactions and over the last six years or my meetings with all of these different humans in my life who have shaped me. And uh, Earth Child, all of these moments of healing and grief and love and lost and longing and and curiosity that have come out of sitting with the earth and asking questions and being held by her. Um, and yeah, and then mother, you know, this deep, deep connection to our culture, back to the matriarchal power of our communities. And I, I again, have been found so many times by, yeah, really strong cultural figures and, and by, by learning culture um, in the writing of this book. Mm. I really, for me, really relate to those open interpretations of the word mother and lover, but I feel, you know, it may be something that's really um, interesting for uh, other readers to be like, oh, you know, wow, this is such an open-ended definition of what, uh, you know, what is mothering and what is, you know, being a lover not just a romantic lover, but uh, to to love our people and to love our families. And I will get you to read another poem, but I just wanted to ask one question beforehand, and that's, you know, you mentioned uh, a bit of, you know, reading poetry at high school, you mentioned Benjo Patterson, and um I'm something that I really um, am interested in with this book is that you write so beautifully about country, uh, for me, nature poetry in Australia and more globally is, it sort of is a bit of a um, kind of, uh, it feels like a colonised term, you know, when we think about nature poetry and we think about how the Europeans, when they came to our multiple countries, they used foreign words to describe our landscapes and our animals and, you know, our, and, you know they imported uh, this, these terms onto uh, a place that already had its own vocabulary and um, in some ways, you know, as much as there was violence here on this continent, there was, there's also narrative violence. Um, so, you know, I, I wondered whether... Um, you see yourself as a nature poet um, or whether you use other terms to describe how you write about landscape? Yeah, I um, I think the, the way I would kind of refer to that would be around, you know, those, those kinds of more colonial uh, writings on the landscape speak about the earth as if she's an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. something to colonize and to own and to have power over um and to um to plunder and to you know use as a resource instead of this living breathing soulful um deeply spiritual profound ferocity that can make and break so easily and um for us she is that life source right 
So mm, uh, mm. I think the the difference, like maybe I am a nature poet, but if I am, well, then I'm a child of Mother Earth and I'm just speaking about her, right? Um, and then hopefully I capture some of that. When I, I often have particularly young First Nations girls will come to me and they'll just be kind of lost and I have to sit them down and be like, right, the reason you think that you're not smart enough, pretty enough, funny enough, all of these things is because you've, you've been born into this kind of patriarchal idea that you're not enough. And mm-hmm. I said, I, when, you, when you get like that, I need you to go outside and sit on Mother Earth because Mother is, we, when we look at her, she is ferocious. You know, she can, she can tear down whole things. She is deeply nurturing. Watch her grow this, this plant through this crack. You can't even imagine something would grow there. Um, isn't, she, isn't she profoundly strong? Look at how resilient she is in these incredible hard, hardships. She just keeps flourishing. And look at her kindness and her generosity providing homes to all of these other spirits. Look at how she didn't. She never turns anybody away. You know, we have this deep gravitation which pulls us all the way back to her every time. And um, and I and I said to them, that same power is you. We are born from her, and we live for her, and we when we return, we're you know incarnated by her. Like, let's not forget that this ultimate creative spirit is in us all, mm. and let's not get dragged into this kind of patriarchal, um, very Western idea of the earth and therefore of mm. ourselves. So I think there is, yeah, if I'm a nature poet, well, then I want to think about nature from <laughs> from that standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that just makes so much sense. Thank you. Um, yeah, you answered that question so well because it's been, so, you know, something that's, that I grapple with as well as to, you know, how, you know, how we are defined, you know, as, as poets and, um Yes, we can be nature poets, but like you said, in in a different framework, um, in a framework that is ours and that is sovereign and is decolonial. Um, would you like to read us another one of your oh, poems? Oh, I would love to. I flicked open to my favourite one of the nature poems, I think. Um, this is Sacred Spaces 1 and 2, and um, they were written about the time that I lost my grandfather. So I was grieving my grandfather. Um, and while I was, I was taken to this men's place. And as you know, you know, women aren't supposed to go there. But for whatever reason, I wasn't, um, I wasn't harmed or um I, I didn't feel like I had to get out straight away. I was held there. And then I moved into this really beautiful women's space where, um, yeah, a lot of sort of the, the ideas of birth and renewal flow to these beautiful places. So this is Sacred Spaces 1 and 2. I washed the grief from my hands in the pool at the men's place. Let my tears add to glacial depth. Let them shape the stone that has held our secrets. I am not meant to be here. I'm not meant to know of this gentleman's place, but the ancestors welcome me as a daughter, as a grandchild, as I remember one of theirs. And so I walk, trace my toes in the trail of mothers gone before us, follow the wail of Gujiga, the joyous hymn for new arrivals. I sit with the earth's umbilical cord, wrap myself and reconnect. I draw first breath. Fill my lungs and steady my beat for the stream. In this women's place, I am tear-stained cheeks with spirit exhausted and body aching. I am the start of new life, the old one abandoned by Gumtree. Gorgeous. I could not recommend going out and purchasing this book enough. Like It's just so deadly and everyone should have it on their 
bedside table. Um, so it's been so lovely talking to you about Kindred Curly and, and hearing a little bit more about some of the inspiration for these poems. Um, I, before we go, I'd love to um, know what's what's next for you. Oh, thank you so much. It's um, it's always a always a pleasure yarning with you, sis. Um, yeah. So I guess in October, Bindi comes out, which is really exciting. Bindi is uh, a verse novel about an eleven-year-old girl, Bindi, who is raised on Gunungara land, um, and Bindi's homelands are being affected by bushfires um and at the same time she's also playing her role as a sort of language and land custodian and caring for the black cockatoo which is an endemic species on Gunungara lands so yeah sit tight it's a fun adventure filled with lots of uh funny kind of anecdotes of family time and hanging out with friends um but the main centering thought for me in the writing of this book was that I wished I had language when I was a kid I wish I had access to um sort of more yeah like like I could feel as though I was making a big difference in community as a land custodian who was caring for country and so it's my hope that a book like this will help children feel their their confidence in having that role as a as a custodian who cares for country, who knows language, who is connected and grounded to it. And uh, that poetry becomes something that isn't introduced in Year 11 with books written by dead white guys. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I'm so excited for this and so excited for all these young people that get to pick up this book. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been such a joy. And um, yeah, I, I just wanted to give a quick thanks to um, to Magabala Books, who of course are behind Kindred and also behind Bindi um, and Grace Lucas Pennington, who is the most remarkable editor that's ever allowed me to create content. And all of the elders and custodians who've been involved in the Poetry in First Languages project, who have so heavily shaped my language journey, but also um, who have helped me write Bindi and Kindred. I feel really lucky mm. that yeah, that opportunity to reconnect exists for me and um, hopefully for us all, yeah. Mm, incredible. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. This series has been generously supported by the Copyright Agency's Cultural Fund. For more conversations, please visit byronwritersfestival.com. Mm-hmm.